It's Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences, eating 90 loaves in 90 days. She's pitching loaf, pitching loaf. Tune in and carb up. 90 loaves in 90 days. We're pitching loaf, pitching loaf. You're listening to the Pitching a Loaf podcast. Welcome to Pitching a Loaf podcast. This is the ninth episode of our series. Today, we will touch on shelf life and how to extend it. My name is Dave Dahl, co-founder of Dave's Killer Bread. And my name is Lynn Carson, founder CEO of Bakerpedia, the only global resource for technical baking information. Before we start today, Dave, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is sponsored by J&K Ingredients. They are the suppliers of SoftBake, a clean label solution to extend the shelf life of your product. To learn more about this, visit jkingredients.com. Looking it up right now. Yep. Dave, what do you think naturally extends the shelf life of baked goods? Well, I think uh, one's probably microbial aspects, and number two is probably texture. Right. So um, between these two, what do you think is more complicated or difficult? Or, or are they, they hold the same weight? Uh, I think uh, either one could be um, the most serious, or one one or the other could happen, and both could happen at the same time. So that would be uh, synergistic if they did, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd be in big trouble if those two happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what else do you think affects the shelf life of baked goods, Lynn? I strongly feel that baked goods are affected mainly by the ingredients that you use and by how much baking you do on it. For example, um, ingredients like sugar, honey, you know, they are natural humectants. So if you have a lot of those in your formula, your bread is going to be softer longer. And also um, high sugar inhibits mold. Yeah, high sugar bread. Um, inhibits mold because it reduces the water activity and the formulation. So that's why some of the sugared breads have a longer anti-mold shelf life than the others. And they also, they also taste really good. So Yes. <laughs> I think that's why we use sugar in bread. Um, another thing is baking. I've noticed a lot of um, bakers that are trying to um, hurry the bread through the oven do not bake out the bread enough. So sometimes, you know, instead of 30 minutes, they cut it down to 26 minutes and you have a lot of moisture in there. Well, you know, and there's always the temperature that you bake it at. Too. Correct. That's crucial. Yeah. So the lower the temperature, the uh, longer the bake and so forth. Yeah. And cooling also. Cooling when oh, you get huge. that moisture out, you know, you dry out the bread a little bit more. So mole has a huge uh, correlation to water activity in the bread. So the less water activity in the bread, the less mole happening. Um, also, on the other end, you can also overbake something and dry it out so much that it crumbles. So yeah, there is a fine line between overbaking and underbaking. Well, that's another problem with with low temperature baking is it dries it out, um, and the faster you bake a loaf of bread, the less it's going to dry it out. So it's challenging to find ways to make moist bread that's you know that's effectively moist without being too moist or not working properly like dry out yeah yeah 
To help us further investigate and offer solutions to our listeners, we have with us today L Orr, VP of Sales and Marketing at J&K Ingredients. L, first of all, I have a loaf of bread from J&K sitting on my desk for the last three weeks, and it's still not molded. What did you put in there to make it last so long? Here it is. Hi, Lynn. Uh, first, thank you very much for having me today. I think that Bakerpedia does an outstanding job uh, in educating the wholesale baking industry. Thank you. Uh, as much as I and, and my boss, Jim Zorzville, would like to take uh, full credit for that, um, the BreadMate 1600 is a very highly concentrated uh, na- uh, clean label mold inhibitor. However, it wouldn't be completely fair to say that um, there weren't other factors in play if your bread is still three weeks uh, without yeah. mold meaning that um, the pH of your product, the, um, the packaging line, the packaging itself, uh, the moisture level and water activity of the dough all, all played um, significant roles in leading to that long of a shelf life. Correct. Um, you know, there are other bakeries or other products, say, where, you know, a loaf of bread with our product in it would not last three weeks on a consistent basis, particularly in, you know, the warmer, more humid months. Correct. And you know what? It's still, when I fold it in half, it still doesn't crumble. So that's How great. old that's is that, Brent? That's three weeks. Wow. <laughs> so, Al, besides microbial solutions, uh, do you have textural solutions as well? And what can stop bread from being brittle and crumbly? Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Um, yes, we do. Uh, we do feel that our, our line of you know, bread-made products, the cultured wheat flour, is uh, the most cost-effective clean-label mold inhibitor available to the wholesale bakery. And each of you made a great point in, in marrying, so to speak, the two aspects of shelf life. Uh, the first aspect being which we covered, mold inhibition, and the second one being, I'll call it anti-staling, or as you say, textural characteristics. Because if, if one occurs within three days and the other one doesn't occur until 10 days, mm-hmm. it's sort of irrelevant because yes. after three days, if it's molded, the consumer's going to throw it out. Or if it's hard as a rock, the consumer's going to throw it out. So that's a great point. And we get calls all the time about shelf life. And then we have to explain to people that you're going to need to provide you know, mold inhibition as well as yes. uh, shelf life extension through anti-staling agents. Great. Um, what, you know, in, in terms of making it not hard or you know, preventing from staling and being crumbly. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit more on what the exact mechanism you target with your clean label solutions? Absolutely, Lynn. I'd love to. Um, Our soft-baked product line is composed of concentrated enzyme-based shelf life extenders that address the texture issues and serve as anti-staling agents. Uh, What is staling? All right. Staling basically is starch retrogradation. That's the technical term for staling. Uh, That's what occurs when the starch molecules link up and form long chains, and the crumb is therefore firmer to the touch. That's when the product starts to go stale. Now, that sounds like a bunch of technical mumbo-jumbo, but if you think of a bicycle chain, if it's loose and hanging, that chain is not in a hard, straight line. But if those links in that chain are taut and stretched tight, Mm -hmm. Then it becomes stiff or firm. Well, that's when the crumb of your baked product is hard to the touch, and and that's what starch retrogradation is. That's great. Our enzymes simply delay that process. So um, are we talking about amylase or a a, a combination of amylase and other enzymes here? You've done your homework, Liz. Excellent question. Yes, alpha amylases, to be specific. 
Uh, that's the specific enzymes we use in all of our shelf life extenders. Awesome. Um, now, just saying alpha amylases, there's three types. There's bacterial, there's fungal, there's multigenic. Yes. And uh, Nigel Weston, who's our VP of Technical Services at J&K, has a tremendous uh, history and um, knowledge regarding which types of those three alpha amylase enzymes to use in combination with each other to get the desired results that the customer is looking for. Awesome. You know, there is some um, uh, feedback from uh, consumers right now who are afraid of using it, you know, having enzymes in their products. Um, I, I think a lot of them have a, a concern that these enzymes are not destroyed during baking. What is your opinion on that? Um, that's interesting. I've heard that too. Um, the heat in the oven does deactivate all the modern enzymes used right. in um, baking, or it should during a regular baking process. Correct. Um, certainly all the enzymes we use in our soft bake product line mm-hmm. um, and, and the industry in, in general. Um, so they shouldn't have that um, concern, um, a legitimate concern that they may have had a few years back, and, and even today with some of the more older enzyme preparations, is if with too much floor time, the enzyme can weaken the dough structure so much that, uh, you know, the, the, the end product is not as good. You're, you're not going to get right. the volume and the strength that you want. So. Okay, but however, um, with the modern-day enzymes that we use and under the, the proper um, technical guidance, that's something that the, the modern wholesale baker doesn't have to worry about any longer. So can the baker confidently use your product and be assured that the enzymes are not no longer activate? That, I mean, they're no longer active after baking? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. okay. Hey, Al, that's really cool. You got some really good information there. I didn't know a lot of that. Uh, do you have any questions for us? Um, I, actually, I do. Um, Lynn, I would love to know what day are you on? And day. also, was there any interesting <laughs> bread that you ate this week? So I am on day 60. That's you know, two-thirds of the way through my 90 days. Um, and yes, I ate loaves of artisan bread from King's Kitchen in, in Charlotte, North Carolina last week. Some Bob's Red Mill loaves. And um, this new product I have here that nobody has ever seen before, it's called Eat the Ball. Wow. Dave, for our listeners, what do you think of that? I've never eaten a football before. <laughs> now is the time. So these are um, amazing little ball-shaped like... Uh, um, football-shaped. Foo- yeah, football-shaped. Here's a baseball. Oh. And um, they came from Austria. They're right. manufactured in Austria. The footballs are a lot softer than the uh, baseball. Yeah, That's and they out. use a, a special um, innovative uh, a patent called, I think, Pro Ferment Ice. So I think it's fermented at a lower temperature. So it's got all these benefits to it in terms of anti-stealing. Um, so that's, that's the most interesting Can product. I try one? Yes. That's the most interesting product I've tasted this week, Al. Oh, probably. Okay. Mm. It is. Uh-oh. Now I got my mouth full. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, it's the, the like aroma bread. is really good. Kind of tastes like bread to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. I thought it was going to taste like a baseball. Um, <laughs> 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 you got me fooled. Al, thank you, Al. 
Thank you, Lynn and Dave. I really appreciate the time. Hey, it was good to meet you, man. Have a good one. Likewise. Good luck. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Before we continue, I'd like to thank our sponsors, J&K Ingredients, for sponsoring this podcast. Is your bread becoming hard and crumbly after just one day? Their technical experts on hand would be able to craft an all-natural and clean solution to help keep your crumbs soft and extend your shelf life. Visit jnkingredients.com today for a solution. On air with us is America's favorite bread guru, Peter Reinhardt, author of eight amazing bread books, including The Bread Revolution and American Pie. A chef on assignment at the Johnson and Wales University, I met with Peter at Charlotte, North Carolina last week at the International Bread Symposium. This symposium was his goal of bringing people together from all over the world to discuss the future of bread. Peter, thanks for joining us. As professor and working so closely instructing future bakers, what do you see as the future of bread? Well, that's a good question because uh, uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, something that's been around for 6,000 years, you wonder, you know, was it really ever going to go away or not? It's not. But but uh, for the last 10 or 15 years, it seems like uh, there's an awful lot of movement, you know, by by people, by groups, by, by society, you know, to kind of um, uh, say that uh, bread is dead. And uh, every time that happens, it seems like the bakers get together and uh, make it relevant again by coming up with ways to make it better, to make it healthier. So I think that what we're what we're seeing in the bread world right now is uh, that uh, not only is bread bread back, so to speak, but that it's getting better uh, all the time. And I think the real future is is that we're going to see healthier, um, more whole grain breads, and hopefully maybe breads that are made from grain that is grown in in ways that don't diminish and you know uh deplete the soil i think that that's really where the future has to be not only for bread but for a lot of things there's been a strong trend that way actually and uh, i've seen that firsthand right is there is there um a particular kind of bread peter that you feel um has a, a brighter future than the rest well I think that, you know, of course, anybody who loves bread, you know, always loves great hearth breads and breads that are made, uh, you know, like, like uh, French breads and, and, you know, the the baguettes and the ciabattas that, that are always popular. But I think that those are the breads, as, much, as, as delicious as they are, that are the ones that, um, as, as people in general, and I, I think it's going to be a small movement at first because, you know, these things always start in baby steps. But as more people uh, are begin to people become more picky about which breads that they eat, and I think that's because there are, you know, there are reasons. There's there's a, there's a important reasons for people to be eating more whole grain and and uh, less processed foods, highly processed foods. I think mm-hmm. that um, uh, we're going to see, you know, multi-grain breads, uh, whole grain breads. Uh, uh, and especially maybe even breads that are made uh, with uh, organic flour or sprouted grain flours yeah. and things like that. So I, I think that that's really uh, the style of bread that we're going to see become more and more popular. But, of course, people eat what tastes good and what they like. They, they don't always eat for health, um, even though they would like to think that they do. 
in the end, we really eat for flavor. Yes. And so the trick is, and this is where the bakers have had to, and the millers also together have to, you know, have had to figure out a way to make healthier breads that also taste better. Right, and that's true too. Um, a few years ago, um, all my all the bread that my husband ate was either bagels or sliced bread, and and you know I got into the business of selling artisan bread and started bringing home artisan bread. And it took him like at least five to six years to get used to eating artisan bread with a really hard crust. And now these days, he won't touch anything else other than artisan bread, something that has a really good crust to it. So, yeah, you are right. You know, it's just it will take people a while to get used to that new taste, that new new texture. But I think that's I, I really think artisan bread is where it's going. And um, Peter, you're so passionate about bread. Um, so if if someone has a question, how can they get in touch with you if they have a bread project? Did, how, how should they get in touch with me? Yes. Um, the, well, the best way probably is through email. Now that we have the the bread symposium, uh, our first one has been you know accomplished and put to bed. Uh, I have a new email address that uh, is probably easiest to get to me, and you write to. The word symposium mm-hmm. at jwu at dot edu. So symposium at jwu for Johnson and Wales University dot edu. Okay, and uh, the, uh, that, that's the best. That's the easiest, best way to get a hold of me. But I, I just wanted to comment on one other thing in terms of like the the future of bread. Um, I think that one of the emerging themes from from our symposium uh, was not just the things we just spoke about, sort of the whole grains and and uh, healthier grains, but also I think the fermentation method. Uh, there was an awful lot of interest and a growing interest in um, naturally leavened or sourdough-style breads as opposed to yeasted breads. And I think there's a lot of evidence showing that um, that fermentation method itself is a crucial uh, ingredient in terms of making bread more digestible and healthier. And so one of the talks was called The Future of Bread Lies in Its Past, Meaning mm-hmm. that you know, really, the 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 old original methods of fermentation using natural leavening uh, or starters uh, is really uh, probably going to play a more and more uh, important role in its future. Which means the companies that make large volume breads, which is what the majority of society eats, uh, are if they're not already working with natural uh, leavens and starters, are, are going to need to really come up to speed on that as well. Correct. Actually, I received something really interesting in the mail today. Have you heard of Columbia County Bread and Granola? Um, no, I haven't. They sent me, this is what uh, Dave is eating right now. They sent me <laughs> sprouted, no flour, uh, naturally leavened bread. So that's exactly what you just said. It's all, you know, it's all naturally leavened. It's it's sprouted. It's very heavy. It's whole grain. So it's it's got some serious delicious. chew to it. It has some serious chew to it, and this bread can keep yeah. you full the whole day. Um, I, well, that, and that's that's uh, part of the I think learning curve for the American public is learning to chew better, <laughs> chew longer, <laughs> and get you know, and and uh, uh, begin to appreciate. Uh, the denser style breads instead of the light airy breads that kind of fall apart in your mouth. Right. You know, talk about chewy. Um, pizza is chewy. And you're involved in, in the pizza area, too. Tell me a little bit more about your PizzaQuest.com website. What is that all about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, of course, you know, I always uh, think of pizza as really just 
bread with something on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of foods that meet that definition. I mean, pizza is probably the world's most popular food, uh, in whether it's Italian-style pizza, as we call it, or uh, focaccia, or uh, you know the variations of, uh, of of pizza that we that we think of naturally, or things like international foods that are bread with something on it, like uh, a quesadilla, for instance, mm. which is you know really, and if you think about it, kind of like a Tex-Mex version of a pizza, or even a grilled cheese sandwich, which is uh, becoming more and more popular. And grilled cheese is back, simple uh, sort of the mainstay on many mm. menus. But really, uh, it's, it's similar to pizza. So there's something about this combination of dough with something on it that works and especially in the form of that we call pizza which is like a flatbread with a sauce and a cheese and things like that so i've been fascinated with this and i wrote a book about 12 years ago called american pie my search for the perfect pizza and mm-hmm. uh, as an outgrowth of that and since the book's been out for a while uh, but i didn't want to go back on the road um you know, and travel the world and eat more pizza uh, because I'm trying to eat less pizza now. But I'm still fascinated with this sort of ongoing quest for the perfect pizza. So uh, I started a website called Mm pizzaquest.com where we continue the search, but we do it on, you know, online. And we've we've shot videos with some of the great pizza makers in the country and um, done interviews with a lot of people. And every week we post new, new information about this ongoing quest. But it's not really about just pizza. It's really about pizza itself as a metaphor uh, for for the sort of our everyone has a quest for something something uh, that I would call the quest for excellence or the quest for quality or the quest or to celebrate artisanship at the highest level wherever we find it. So pizza becomes sort of the leading in the, in the website. It's sort of the 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 leading idea, the thrust for for that quest. And most of the postings are about pizza, but every once in a while we find something that. Is similar. It's kind of like people are excited about something. It could be, you know, the the quest for the perfect uh, mezcal whiskey, or uh, you know, the quest for uh, uh, artisan beer, or the you know craft beer movement. All these are kind of similar in that that folks are excited about them and they're not willing to settle anymore for just average, but they want they want to know what's the best you know when and that's kind of what the quest is about is finding the best of the best right. this could be a great and, and reality so, so, show yeah, if, if yeah people get, uh, want to log in they'll see lots of really interesting and fun videos that we've yeah. been doing for Sound, a couple of years there sounds like you can make it your personal uh, blog and journey so um, but yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well, and, and I have so a pizza this, oven in my backyard so this keeps my, my own quest you my do? inner quest alive it gives me you know a platform for being able to kind of keep that quest alive and but uh, also to meet people and to uh, try to capture with the various people that we feature on that site what it is in, that's burning inside of their belly, so to speak, that drives them in their own quest. So when people, as people share their their quest for excellence, uh, we hope it kind of resonates with the people who are following the site. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners, if you're interested to follow um, Peter Reinhardt's journey. Uh, Go to his website, pizzaquest.com. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I should leave you with the same words that, uh, that we left everybody at the symposium, if you remember, Lynn, which is uh, what I call the baker's blessing. Uh, may your crust be crisp and your <laughs> bread always rise. <laughs> Thank you. Same nice to, to meet you, Peter. Thank, thank you. And there you have it. 
Peter is an amazing baker, and I'm really honored to make his acquaintance. Before we end the show, I'd like to do just one more shout out to J&K Ingredients. J&K Ingredients is committed to providing the baking industry with superior, innovative, and natural products. Their sales team can be contacted today at sales at jkingredients.net. Until the next time, breadheads, don't be loafing around. You've been listening to Bakerpedia's Pitching a Loaf podcast, hosted by Dr. Lynn Carson. Our show is co-hosted by Dave Doll and David Dublau. The Pitching a Loaf jingle is done by Creative Mills. Our associate producer is Anna Rink. Show notes by Joanna Evanouk. Our podcast cover art is designed by Kurt Rawsus. The Pitch in a Loaf podcast is produced at Bigfoot Podcast Network in the heart of beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. <laughs>